was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. I want to say to us this morning that the law of love always supersedes legalism. The law of love always supersedes legalism. According to former Dallas Seminary professor Jack Deere, and I quote him, legalism is trusting in religious activity rather than trusting in God, putting your confidence in a practice rather than in a person. And without fail, this will lead you to love the practice more than the person. Now, you know that we're talking about legalism today. Now, here's a list of eight questions that I'm told that we need to ask ourselves the answers to which determine whether or not we are legalistic or not. Do you tithe down to the last penny yet struggle with generosity? Number two, do you compare your service to God with my service to God? Do you want people to see how much you do for your church? Do you always think the sermon is not for you, but for somebody else. Now, I was preaching a sermon many years ago at another church, and one guy told me afterwards as he met me in the line, boy, I wish my mother-in-law was here to hear that sermon. <laughs> Number five, are you critical of people who don't have the same convictions as you do? Number six, do you often get into arguments about the Bible? Number seven, do you have a tough time forgiving the failures of others? Number eight, do you use the Bible to tell God what he can or cannot do? Now, don't raise your, your, your hand right now, but if you answered yes to any of those questions, you very well might be a legalist. Now, two more questions before moving on. The first of which is this, is it ever appropriate to break the law? Think about that. Secondly, is breaking the law in order to do good wrong? Now, it was October 22nd, 1996. My wife remembers that very well because on that very day, she went into labor. It was during the peak of the rush hour on St. Thomas. And if you know St. Thomas well, back then... During the rush hour, you could be in traffic for hours. It was just at a standstill. And so, although I had attended all of the, the Lamas classes, I told myself I was not going to have to be a midwife on the highway, not knowing the first thing to do. 
So guess what I did? I put on my blinkers and I created a third lane in a, on a two-lane highway and I have no idea how I made it to the hospital without getting into an accident or being pulled over by the police. Now, was it okay for me to break the law under those circumstances? Somebody answered. I, I meant it rhetorically. I didn't mean for you to give me an answer, but somebody said yes. So that was very affirming to hear that that was correct. Now, this incident in the book of Luke is one of three controversial incidents that Jesus used to explain that love and doing good takes precedence over legalism. Jesus operated on the basis of the law of love. Now, Paul calls it the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. James calls it the royal law. James chapter 2 and verse 8. The law of love majored in concern for others. Legalism placed concern for the Sabbath over people. And Jesus taught that compassion for people must always take precedence over legalism. And so this story happened in a Jewish synagogue. Jesus happened to be teaching there on the Sabbath day, and a man whose right hand was withered was in the audience. Now, why is that detail important to us? It is important because if you are right-handed, as I am, and you're right hand is injured, your strength is diminished. Now, this was an agrarian society, and farming was the main way that you put food on the table. And so this man would have been disadvantaged, having had his right hand withered. Now, why then is this man in church? Well, he's there for the very same reason that you and I are in church this morning. He needed a supernatural touch from Jesus, just as you and I need a supernatural touch from Jesus this morning. What I like about this man is that he did not allow his disability to keep him from church or from Jesus. I want to say to us this morning, never allow your disability, whatever that is, to keep you from Jesus. After all, if Jesus operates on the basis of the law of love, if Jesus has compassion on people, what are the chances that he just may touch you supernaturally in church on a Sunday morning? Now, I notice that two groups of people, the scribes and Pharisees, they were also in church that Sunday morning. It wasn't really a Sunday morning, it was a Sabbath. Why were they there? They were there to watch Jesus' every move, to catch him in a mistake. Scribes were the lawyers of the day. They knew the law. They majored in crafting and drafting legal documents. So if you needed a marriage certificate or a divorce certificate or a land deed or anything like that, you went to a scribe. Every village had at least one of them. Pharisees, on the other hand, were a religious sect that followed the letter of the law. But to that law, they also added several hundred other laws, which they called 
the tradition of the elders, sometimes the tradition of the fathers. But the scribes and Pharisees, they were not in church that day to hear Jesus teach or to give him their worship or to allow their hearts and their minds to be transformed by the power of his love. You see, why you come to church is just as important as that you come to church. Can I say that again? Why you come to church is just as important as that you come to church. And so if you come to church to give God your disability, your sin, and your worship, if you come to church to receive grace for your sin, a word from God for your trial, or strength for your journey, God will give you grace for your sin. He will accept your worship. God will indeed give you the strength that you need. However, if you come to church to parade your religiosity, your legalism, or your righteousness, if you come to church to intellectualize or to analyze every word that you hear from the pulpit, then you are no different from the scribes and the Pharisees. Their reason for being in church was to show up Jesus, to show that they were more righteous than he was, to trap him in his words so that they might have something to accuse him of. What a, what a sad reason to come to church. But Luke tells us that Jesus knew their motives in the same way that he knows our motives as well. But you know what I find remarkable about this text? That even if we came to church for the wrong reason, we can still be witnesses of the grace of Jesus on full display. Even if we came to church out of legalism, we might still see God's grace fully displayed among us as he reaches out to minister to people. I believe that grace is the most compelling thing about Christianity. And grace should be the most compelling thing about our church, or any church for that matter. I'm not talking about cheap grace, the kind that overlooks sin. I'm talking about real grace that heals, that forgives, that restores people. And so the man with the withered hand is in church, because he needs the grace of Jesus the same way that you and I need the grace of Jesus this morning. Our second point is this, that people matter more. People matter more. Can I say that a third time? People matter more. You know, Sunday school class this morning, we heard that there should be people over process. Was that what you were talking about? People over process. So Jesus said to the man, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. As I look at that, I said to myself, what an invitation from Jesus. Come and stand here. Because you see, in this invitation, I think Jesus shows that people matter more than their disabilities. Now, there's no question that our culture still treats people with disabilities as less than. Not Jesus. He welcomes them. He invites them to come and stand here. Stand here with me. 
In other words, regardless of who you are, you have a place here with me. You belong here. You belong at my side. You are no less than anyone else. You may have things in your life this morning that either you or somebody else might use to disqualify you from the presence of Jesus. Not Jesus. He never disqualifies anybody. He welcomes everybody because everybody matters to Jesus. We used to sing a song many years ago, a hymn, Whosoever Will May Come. I don't know that we, we use the word whosoever anymore, but I remember that, that, that word very, very strongly. Whosoever will may come. That's Jesus' policy. You matter. Secondly, Jesus' invitation to come and stand here shows that people matter more than the rules. Because he says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? Now, Luke has already told us that um, he knew the motives of scribes and Pharisees. They were watching Jesus very closely so that they might trap him. Now Jesus is going to expose their heart. Because you see, for these people, Sabbath keeping was more important than doing good. They equated their love for God by how well they kept the Sabbath. Even if it meant overlooking somebody on the side of the road who was in need. But for Jesus, doing good to someone who needed was far more important than keeping the Sabbath. Even if it meant breaking the Sabbath to help somebody, Jesus was prepared to do that. And so I ask you this morning, who loves God more? The one who breaks the Sabbath to help somebody in need or the one who uses the Sabbath as an excuse for not helping somebody in need? Thirdly, Jesus' invitation to come and stand here shows that people matter more than personal property. I don't even know that I need to make that, this point this morning, that people matter more than property. But Matthew records this story very differently from Luke. In fact, Matthew tells us, Matthew asks the question, which one of you, or Matthew records Jesus as asking the question, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now if you break the Sabbath to help a sheep, how much more should you break the Sabbath to help a person, a human being? The legalism in our context, can look like standing up for our conservative principles. And that is good. That's a good thing. However, if we engage our conservative principles to justify behaviors that are anti-Christian, that is something else. I'm told that a church leader once confided that certain people were out to get him because of what they were calling doctrinal defection. They thought that he was teaching something uh, contrary to Christian doctrine. And so in their attempt to get hard evidence to prove him wrong, they watched his every move. They examined his every sentence. They broke into his office. They searched his desk. 
they tried to open his computer files. Now here's the question. Since when are breaking, trespassing, and entering okay in the name of righteousness? We can never pursue righteousness by resorting to tactics that are unrighteous. For Jesus, people mattered more than their, their disabilities, I'm sorry, more than the rules, more than property, more than any cause that you and I might be engaging in. Here's our third and final point this morning. Restoration is so much better than being overlooked. I don't care who you are, to be restored is always better than to be overlooked. And after looking around at them, at them all, Jesus said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, and he did so. And his hand was, was restored. Now, Luke tells us that Jesus looked around, but he never told us that Jesus overlooked the man. He looked around, but he never overlooked the man. Now, do you ever feel sometimes overlooked? Do you sometimes feel invisible? Maybe in a crowd, for whatever reason, people don't notice you. Maybe you have a disability. Maybe your color is different. Maybe you are in a different socioeconomic bracket. Maybe your politics is a little different. Maybe your character has taken a hit. Maybe you're just different. And people overlook you because of those reasons. Jesus looks around. Jesus sees our differences and he sees our disabilities, but he never overlooks us. Just like he didn't overlook this man with a disability. Stretch out your hand, he says. See, sometimes you have to participate in your own healing. Sometimes there is something you must do in order to receive the healing that Jesus has already given. Stretch out your hand. But there's no strength in my hand, Jesus. It is withered. Stretch it out anyway, Jesus says. You see, it is a stretch to leave your anonymity and come out into the open to Jesus. That's a stretch. It is a stretch to come down from a tree of pride, as Zacchaeus was asked to do. It is a stretch to go dip in a river in order to come up clean of your leprosy. It is a stretch to leave your net or your livelihood behind to follow Jesus. It is a stretch to leave, to sell everything you have and follow Jesus for the rest of your life. It is a stretch to leave a sinful habit or practice. Maybe the healing that you need just may be in the stretching. Doing something that looks unreasonable or even foolish to some people. Faith. Faith is always a stretch. And so we're told that the man did so. He stretched out his hand and his hand was restored. It became healthy like the other one, Matthew tells us. Have you ever been restored? Restoration is such a beautiful thing. 
Forgiveness is such a beautiful thing. Healing is such a beautiful thing. And do people need restoration today? Restoration from their past. Restoration from estrangement. Restoration from the mess-ups. Jesus, this same Jesus is in the business of restoration this morning. Now, yesterday he restored a man's limb, but today he can restore a life, even your life. Restoration. Our bottom line this morning is this. Jesus frees us from legalism, and he calls us to practice the law of love. Jesus calls us from legalism, and he calls us to practice the law of love. I want to challenge you in three ways this morning before we leave. First, I want to challenge you to bring your withered heart to Jesus. Can I say that again? Bring your withered heart to Jesus. Now, I may very well be talking to somebody this morning whose heart may be hurting from scars of one kind or another, whose heart may be fractured from one heartbreak or another, whose heart may be reeling from one wrong decision or another. Please hear me. You matter to Jesus. Can I say that again? You matter to Jesus. His invitation to you this morning is this. Come and stand here beside me. You have a place here. So bring your withered heart to Jesus. Let him heal it. I wonder who will do that this morning, whether here in person or online. Who will bring their withered heart to Jesus and find that he's more than willing and more than capable to heal your withered heart? Secondly, this morning, I want to challenge you to be active in your own healing. Now, notice from the text that Jesus healed the man's hand, but the man had to do something. He asked him to do something. He had to leave where he was and to come and stand next to Jesus. So my question to you this morning is, what do you need to leave behind to come to Jesus? Do you need to leave an unhealthy relationship that is dragging you down even further? Do you need to leave a habit that is having you more and more enslaved do you need to leave a messed up past that you can't seem to forget about? Do you need to leave a career that has become more important to you than following Jesus? What is he asking you to leave today? Because, you see, in order to follow Jesus, you must leave something behind. What is that? Thirdly and finally, I want to challenge us all, myself included, to live by the law of love, not by legalism. Now, I've found that legalism makes me overlook people, especially people who need Jesus. 
If I'm legalistic, I'm sticking to my own beliefs and my own convictions, and I overlook people in the process. But grace always lets us see people and their needs. Legalism will make us prideful in our own righteousness. Grace will make us humbly grateful for the free gift of God's righteousness. Legalism always says, work harder to earn God's forgiveness. Grace says, forgiveness is already earned through Jesus Christ's death. Legalism says, demand perfection of everybody else except yourself. Grace says, nobody has to be perfect because Christ is our perfection. Legalism will make you a slave. Grace sets you free. And so I challenge myself this morning, even as I challenge you today, let us let our lives be governed by grace and not by legalism. Let us pray together. God, what a picture of your grace, your love for people, your regard for people who are in need. God, we fondly recall this morning of the grace that we received from you when our hearts were withered by sin. You set us free. You forgave us. You restored us. This morning, God, all across this congregation are people who need your physical touch, but not only that, your spiritual touch. We ask this morning that you would indeed help us to avail ourselves of the touch of Jesus that is supernatural, that heals, that forgives and restores. God, help us to always be humbly grateful, never prideful. Help us never to overlook people, but to see their need and to point them to Jesus. Help us to be exhibitors of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.